0: It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. If you have a Bible this morning, I hope you do. Open with me to First Samuel chapter fourteen. First Samuel fourteen. We're going to be doing the latter half of chapter fourteen this morning, so verses twenty-four to the end. This, and we will take a pause on First Samuel until the new year. So next week, so this this coming week, I would ask your prayers for me. I'll be I'm out of town on a sermon planning retreat. It's something I do every fall. I go out for uh, three or four days and start praying through and thinking about what we're going to be preaching through next year. And so that'll be this week. I'll be, I'm not leaving the state. I'll be up in, uh, at Skycroft. Some of you know where that's at in Middleton, uh, Maryland. And so I'll be up there for. Uh, Tuesday through Thursday uh, for that. So do be in prayer for me. And since I'm going to be out of town much of the week, John Burns is going to be preaching next week from uh, Matthew chapter six. And so do be in prayer for John as he um, as he prepares this week that he might um, uh, the Lord might fill him with wisdom. Uh, not that he's not already a wise man, but you know understand what I'm saying. That the Lord would fill him with wisdom and as he prepares uh, to preach. I should, Lord willing, I plan on being here next Sunday. So I look forward to sitting under uh, that teaching. Uh, next week. I've titled this morning's message, Help Me, I'm Drowning. Uh, there's no water mentioned in this, so you might wonder where that title comes from, but we've, we've, we've all been there. We, we've all had times in our lives where we felt overwhelmed, where we felt, you know, metaphorically speaking, as if, as if we're drowning. Some of you might be in the midst of that right now. You're going through an overwhelming time. Maybe it's the crushing feeling of financial pressure. Uh, you're, you're living paycheck to paycheck. Even the slightest unanticipated expense will throw you and your family into financial chaos. You know, there always seems to be more months left at the end of your paycheck rather than the other way around. Or maybe finances are good with you. You're golden that way. For, for you, it might be the pressure to perform. You're expected to perform in school, perhaps in athletics. Or perform at work, Where, wherever it is that you're expected to perform, what you did last week—that that, that doesn't—that's not enough anymore. It, that you have to—you have to be bigger, smarter, classier than you've ever been. And if you're—it it feels like for you, if you're not making bold moves forward, like I don't even exist. You feel like you're a nobody if you don't perform under pressure. Or maybe there's the pressure to fit in. You know, we often think, and I used to think when I was a teenager, that you know, I can't wait till I'm not a teenager anymore, that I won't feel this pressure to fit in any longer. Um, but the truth of the matter is, peer pressure doesn't disappear with age. Maybe it moderates a bit, but only a bit. Because we all want to have friends that we can count on, right? Friends that we can call in. We, we want to be invited over to this person's house or that person. We, we, we want to... We, we, nobody wants to be a hermit. Well, maybe some people want to be hermits, but most of us don't want to be hermits, right? We, we want to have a group, people that we can call our own. Some of life's pressures are things that we put on ourselves. Some of them are put on to us by others and other pressures in life are, are a result of the circumstances in our, in our life. And, and some pressures, frankly, are just a, a miserable combination of all of the above. But all of the pressures in our life, no matter what they are, they're always somehow related to sin. It may be our own personal sin or it may be some type of corporate sin. But in this broken world, that brokenness manifests itself in our lives, sometimes in devastating ways. And so we find ourselves in need of rescue. We're drowning and we need rescue. We're in need of rescue from ourselves. We're in need of rescue from our circumstances, and we're in need of rescue from others. We need rescue. All of us do. And that brings us to our text this morning. So let's hear from the Word of the Lord. If you're there in First Samuel, say Amen. 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 Alright. I'm going to read verses 24 to the end. I, was, uh, I remembered this morning to bring my reading glasses so I can, don't have to hold the Bible at arm's length this morning. Follow along with me as I read, beginning, again, beginning in verse 24. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. So Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it's evening, and I am avenged of my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping. But no one put his hand to his mouth for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath, so he put out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey? How much better if all the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found. For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. They struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to And the people were very faint. And the people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and, and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night, and they slaughtered them there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God. Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But God did not answer him that day. And Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. As for the Lord, or me, for as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among the, all the people who answered him. And he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, Why have you not answered your servant this day? Is this guilt in me or in Jonathan my son, O Lord God of Israel? Give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people Israel, give Pumim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken But the people escaped. Then Saul said, Cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of my staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I will die. And Saul said, God do so to to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, Saul, Shall Jonathan die, for, or who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall, not, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all the enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered him. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Maheshua. And the names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn was Mirib. And the name of the younger was Michael. And the names of Saul's wife was Ahinoam and the daughter of Ahimaaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish, the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. It's the Word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You again for Your Word. Uh, we counted, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, now this morning that You would use it. And I pray, Father, that You would use these words that i prepared. I pray that there are faithful meditation on Your Word. And so that You would use this now as Your Spirit accompanies Your Word being proclaimed to mold us and change us into the men and women you would have us be. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a note taker, I have a very simple idea this morning, is we all need to be rescued. We all need to be rescued. And I have three points from our passage this morning. We all need to be rescued. Three points. First, we need to be rescued from ourselves. We need to be rescued from ourselves. Our text today begins by telling us that the men of Israel had been hard pressed that day. It's there in verse 24. Now in order to understand what's happening here, we need to keep in mind the text from last week. You'll recall last week, Jonathan and his armor bearer at great risk to themselves went by themselves into the camp of the Philistines. Their faith and bravery along with the Lord's intervention had led to confusion in the Philistine camp. The confusion was so great, in fact, that the Philistines started killing one another. And it was only as this confusion reached a fever pitch that Saul and his 600-man army decided to join the battle. And that's where we find ourselves today. That's why we read that these men are being hard-pressed that day. They're hard-pressed because they are now in battle with the Philistines. And so we're told there in verse 24, notice notice the past tense verb here, this is important, that Saul had laid an oath on the people. From the other details in our text, we can safely assume that Saul had laid this oath on them before they had actually joined the fighting. Saul would have laid this oath on them while they were still at Gibeah and while Jonathan and his armor bearer were making their way into the Philistine camp. The oath itself, however, in verse 24, declares, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged of my enemies. And so as this story begins to unfold, we learn that the people, they haven't had anything to eat. And we're told in verse 28 that the people were faint. And we're told again in verse 31 that they were very faint. Now if you have any experience with fasting from food, you know that fasting from food can leave you feeling lethargic, tired. After all, we need food to sustain our bodies. Just just like we... Just like our car needs gasoline to run, our bodies need food to operate. And while fasting is a spiritual discipline, it's something that even Jesus expects us to participate in. It's not an optional extra for the Christian life. It's something we should be doing. We do need to understand that there is a time and a place to fast, and there's a time and a place not to fast. So let me explain. When you're expecting and you're planning on exerting a lot of physical energy, that's not the time to fast. So yesterday, Greg and I, along with his, and his brother and several thousand other crazy, crazy people in Washington, D.C., we ran a half marathon in D.C. Now, I can't speak for Greg or his brother, but let me just tell you what I didn't do on Saturday. I didn't do this on Friday either. I didn't fast. I didn't say, you know, I'm getting ready for a half marathon. Let me, let me not eat anything at all today. I knew I needed the fuel in my body, and so I ate well on Friday, and I ate well on Saturday morning to make sure that my body had the fuel that it was going to be needed to run a half marathon. You know, It, does, it just doesn't make any sense why you would want to fast on the day you run a half marathon. It's not wise for you or for your body. But this leads me to a very serious question about our text today. Why in the world does Saul make his people take an oath? He makes them swear not to eat anything when he knows good and well that they're getting ready to go into battle with the Philistines. I mean, it absolutely buggers the imagination when we consider that question. Why in the world would he do it? Charitably, towards Saul. okay? Charitably, we might say that He called for this fast because he was zealous for the glory of God. And he wanted his men to be relying solely on God as they fought those miserable Philistines. I suppose that's a one possible charitable understanding. But frankly, our text doesn't allow us to go there. Saul's own son, Jonathan, when he learns about the fast, or the oath, rather, not to eat anything. Now remember, he wasn't there. When the oath was made, he only only learns about the oath after the fact. He throws his own dad under the bus. Look with me. It's right there in verses 29 and 30. When he's told about the fast, he says, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they had found. And so, at best, beloved, Saul's oath is unwise. He knows they're getting ready for battle, and you don't want weak, lethargic, tired men when you're getting ready for battle. And let's not forget this one little fact: this important fact. Saul is the king. No one is forcing him to make this oath. This—it's his decision. His decision alone, Saul can't point a finger and say, well, you know, it was Abner Abner. No, Saul was the one making that decision. He made a bad decision all by himself. And here's my point. Beloved, Saul needs to be rescued from himself. Saul needs to be rescued from himself. But I wonder, you know, before we put the bus in reverse and we also run over Saul, I wonder how many times we've done that. Have we ever made a bad decision where we're the only one to blame? So me and Mary Fox, are we the only ones who have done that? Okay. (laughs) I like to listen to Johnny Cash. Um, He has a song called Don't Take Your Guns to Town. Um, If you listen to Cash, you know know the song. He tells the story of a young cowboy named Billy Joe who's leaving the family farm and he's riding his horse into town and his mother begs him not to take his guns with him she says you know don't take your gaun- guns to town son leave your guns at home bill don't take your guns to town she pleads with him but billy joe thinks that he's become a man and so he scorns his mother's advice and he takes his guns with him to town long story short and of course none of bill, none of cash's songs are particularly long but this long story short bill gets ridiculed when he makes his way into town and he in a, in a fit of rage he begins to draw his gun but before he gets a chance to shoot the other guys already shot him and as he's laying there on the ground dying the final words out of billy joe's mouth are don't take your guns to town so in that in that fictional story billy joe doesn't have anyone to blame but himself for getting himself killed it's his fault if he would have listened to his mother's advice he would still be alive but he was young and full of pride pride and Full of himself. He, he couldn't see the possible danger in taking his guns to town. Billy Joe needed to be rescued from himself. But again, how about us? Have we ever needed to be rescued from ourselves? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's more than just me and Mary. We, we, we've all, we all have to admit that there are times in our lives when we need to be rescued from ourselves. Maybe, let me give you an example. Maybe it's that young man you're dating. You know, sure, he's fun. He's good-looking. He has a promising future. But he's not a Christian. He de- he doesn't share your understanding of some of life's most important issues. But you're in love. You're in oh you're you are in love, and you're convinced that your love will overcome his lack of faith. And so you decide to marry this young man, even though all the people who love you who you've known all your life, they're telling you it's not a good idea to even be dating this person, much less marrying this person. And so let me be honest with you, in my past, so I've been in vocational ministry for over two decades now, and I can't tell you the number of women, oftentimes middle-aged women, who I've spoken with, who years after the wedding are still heartbroken because they're married now to a man who doesn't have any interest in the things of God. These are women who oftentimes, not not to a person, but oftentimes wish they had a do-over. Women who, when they were younger, needed to be rescued from themselves. Women who should have listened to biblical counsel, but instead they chose to listen to their heart rather than to listen to the Word of God. Now, this is just one example of how we need to be rescued from ourselves. But think about that question, beloved. Do you need to be rescued from yourself? If you do, I have good news for you. I've got really good news for you. There is rescue for you. It, it's found here in the Word of God. You find rescue here in the Word of God. And you find rescue in the Son of God. Let's move on to point number two. So we need to be rescued from ourselves. Number, point number two do we need to be rescued? Or we do need to be rescued from our circumstances. The men of Israel, I've, I've already pointed out, they're faint. They're indeed very faint. They've been dealt a bad hand, if you will. The king has made them swear an oath not to eat anything. And if they break that oath, he's told them nothing but curses. Nothing but curses lay ahead of them. And so we're told in verse 24 that none of the people had tasted food. In verse 26, the people, quote, the people feared the oath, unquote. And so put yourselves in that situation. It's been a long, long day for these men. And then in verse 31... It says they had struck down the Philistines that day from Micmash to Ajalon. That's about 15 miles as the crow flies between these two cities. And so let me just say, and remember we talked about this last week, this is a very mountainous area. It's, it's hard enough to walk 15 miles in a mountainous terrain, much less to be going 15 miles through mountainous terrain while you're engaged in battle with an enemy, enemy combatant. So it's no surprise that at the end of all this, we're we're told that they're very faint. By this point in the story, evening has likely fallen. I'll explain that in just a moment why why we come to that conclusion. So the men are released from their oath. Again, their oath not to eat any food. It's, It's ended because the sun went down. And so what did the men do? Look with me there in verse 32. In verse 32, it says, The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep. And oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Picture that scene, beloved. These men, they're, they're so famished, they're so hungry that they pounce on the spoil. They, you hear the aggression, and they're like, oh, dinner. You know, there's a Denny's. No, they pounce on it, but it doesn't end there, does it? They're so hungry that they slaughter the animals on the ground. Now, we might read that and go, well, where else were they supposed to slaughter the animals? Normal practice would have been to slaughter the animals on a rock or something similar so that the blood could drain from the animal before they ate the meat. But they're so hungry. They're exhausted they're fam, They're very faint. They don't have time to wait for the blood to drain. They eat the animals' blood and all. Even though... The Word of God in Leviticus chapter 3 clearly says prohibits the the Israelites from eating with the blood. Now word gets back to Saul that these men have been eating the animals with the blood. But notice Saul doesn't rebuke them for eating. He's not rebuking them for breaking the oath. right? He doesn't say, "Why, why are you breaking the oath? Because evening has come. That time has expired. But in verse 33 he does tell them, he says, they have dealt treacherously, unquote, for eating with the blood. Now, hear with me the rich irony in this passage of what's happening here. here. Here's what I mean. These men wouldn't have been so famished in the first place if Saul hadn't made them swear to such an unwise oath to start with. That, that's that's the first point of irony, right? The, the reason they're famished, the reason Saul has to say you've dealt treacherously is because of something that Saul commanded them. But second, notice this. He he criticizes criticizes them for again for the problem that he's created. He's the one he is, if you will, the mastermind behind all this, and his plan is going every which way, and he's criticizing the men, and it doesn't stop even there. There's a third point of irony. To make matters worse, notice this, he pretends to be their hero by demanding a bring to me a great stone, he says. And bring to me your oxen and your sheep, and we'll slaughter them on this stone, and then you can eat. Saul creates a problem because of his own incompetence. And then he acts like he's the hero when he solves the problem. We don't know any politicians that do that, I'm sure. But the people, of course, they do. They bring their own oxen. But we're still left thinking that if Saul had just let them eat normally earlier, this, the whole drama could have been avoided. But I do also want to say this. We dare not excuse the behavior of the men of Israel. They knew they weren't supposed to eat the meat with the blood. This, this wasn't some type of new regulation. It's not like you know, the latest thing down the pipe and, oh, I didn't realize that that was the new regulation. This is part of the Word of God. They knew they weren't supposed to do that. They knew it was wrong to eat the meat with the blood. And so they were wrong. They were wrong to do that. But beloved, understand this. It does give us some insight into why they made the decisions they made. It gives us a measure of sympathy for those men. And it teaches us a lesson that we need to be careful that we understand these types of distinctions. So, for example, the Bible tells us not to despise a man if he's stealing food because he's hungry. Alright, that's Proverbs chapter 6, verse 30. Don't despise a man if he steals food because he's hungry. But, when he's caught, when the thief is caught, the latter half of that same verse says he'll have to pay back seven times. And so he's wrong for stealing, Right? He shouldn't have stole, but we're not to despise him because he was stealing because he was actually he was hungry. Similarly, the men of Israel they were wrong for eating the meat with the blood. But we need to be aware that it was the king's rash oath that put these men in that situation where they were so famished to start with. At any rate, the men of Israel needed to be rescued from their circumstances. Yes, we understand why they did what they did, but it doesn't make what they did right. And so how about us? Again, we're looking at an ancient text here and we're thinking, you know, I can't remember the last time I slaughtered an animal and ate it with blood. So what does that have to do with me? Have we ever felt that we need to be rescued from our circumstances? You know, with all this, all the racial unrest that has plagued our country over the past several years, it's it's for me, I don't know about what it's done for you, but for me it's sent me to do a lot of reading. And you guys know I like to read, and so it's done a lot of reading. Some of the reading I agree with much of what the authors have to say, and some of the reading I I don't agree with them, but want to listen nonetheless. And some of the reading, frankly, has just made me aware of some matters of historical fact that I was unaware of before. So, for example, let me give you two examples of historical facts that I was really um, I was ignorant of. Um, at the end of World War II, many of our fighting men came home, and they were offered GI bills. The GI bill was intended to pay for college and graduate school or other training. It was a, it was a good piece of legislation. It was something good to say you know, to our fighting men, thank you for much, so much for what you're doing. But it's frankly a matter of public record that many African-American servicemen, when they came home from World War II, were denied access to a GI bill. So this one example. Hold on to that thought for just a moment. Here's a second example. As early as the 1930s, banks and other lending institutions began a practice that would later become known as redlining. Redlining is the practice uh, that effectively listed certain neighborhoods as hazardous or not worthy of financial investment. These neighborhoods were often redlined because of their ethnic makeup. And so In reality, black neighborhoods were listed as hazardous. And so banks and other lending institutions effectively kept black people from purchasing homes in white neighborhoods because if too many black people bought the homes in the white neighborhood, then ultimately that white neighborhood would would be deemed hazardous, and their loans would be subject to failure in that neighborhood. Now, the official practice of redlining, by the way, has been abandoned for decades, but it still happens in other parts of the country, I can assure you. Um, of that just from having lived in other parts of the country. Now, why do I use these two examples? Last summer, there were some pretty significant race riots in our country. In some cases, these riots were simply peaceful protests. In other cases, there was mob rule with looting, burning, and shooting. As many of you, I'm sure, are aware, there's a young man right now on trial for his life in a very highly publicized trial because of the actions he took undertook while participating in one of those uh, or during during a riot. Now let me be absolutely absolutely clear. It's wrong. Categorically wrong to loot and to burn down buildings. Okay? Wrong. Full stop. Okay? I don't want anybody leaving here thinking thinking I think anything other than that. But hear me well on this is also. If you've lived within a system that at least from your own perspective, so from your, from your perspective, and, and, and let's be honest with ourselves, that the only person's perspective that we can truly understand is our own, right? You know, I, I didn't grow up in your shoes and you didn't grow up in my shoes. And we can listen to one another and we ought to listen to one another. But we only really truly understand our perspective and even that only in a limited way. But if you've grown up within a system that has seemed to put people from your ethnic makeup at a disadvantage from other ethnicities, there will come a time in your life when you just say, finally, enough is enough. I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. And you will protest. And sometimes that protest will turn ugly. All right? That's what the men of Israel are doing. They were saying, enough is enough. I don't, I don't care about waiting for this blood to drain. I'm hungry. I'm going to eat the food. I don't care if there's blood in it. And they were wrong in doing so. But at least we understand why they were doing that. They needed to be rescued from their circumstances. You know, the people who were looting and burning the buildings in Kenosha, Wisconsin, were they wrong? Yes, 100%. They were wrong. Without question, it was wrong to loot and burn down buildings. But also remember this, that we should at least have some measure of sympathy in that when we see image bearers of God who have, in their own country, have been historically treated as less than equal, that we ought to say, okay, yeah, what you're doing is wrong, but I, I, I hear where you're coming from, even though what you're doing is completely wrong. There's a conference I go to every other year. It's one of my favorite conferences. Sadly, uh, next year is going to be the last, uh, their final conference. It's called Together for the Gospel. Um, from, from the very beginning of this conference, they have uh, what's a statement of faith they call, uh, not a statement of faith, a statement of affirmation and denials. Uh, the 17th of their 18 affirmation and denials says this, We affirm that God calls His people to display His glory in the reconciliation of the nations within the church and that God's pleasure in this reconciliation is evident in the gathering of believers from every tongue, tongue, tribe, and people and nation. We acknowledge that the staggering multitude of injustice against African Americans in the name of the gospel presents a special opportunity for displaying repentance, forgiveness, and restoration promised in the gospel. We have further affirmed that evangelical Christianity in America bears a unique responsibility to demonstrate this reconciliation reconciliation with our African-American brothers and sisters. And we deny that any church can accept racial prejudice, discrimination, or division without betraying the gospel. And to that I say amen and amen. That's a gloriously true statement. At times, we ourselves, and at times the people around us, But all of us, from time to time, we need to be rescued from our circumstances. We find ourselves in a position where we just don't know how to overcome. And we need to be rescued from that. That's point number two. Point number three is we need to be rescued from others. We need to be rescued from others. I've already stressed how the men of Israel needed to be rescued from Saul. Saul and his unwise Action. he brought great harm on the people, so I'm not going to belabor that point any further. But there's one other person in this story who needs to be rescued from Saul. You know who that is already, don't you? It's Saul's son. His his own son, Jonathan, needs to be rescued from his dad. Saul makes his people take an oath. Now, Jonathan, he doesn't know that they've taken this oath, so he dips his staff in the honey and he eats the honey. His eyes are brightened. Uh, and at this, at that point in the story, even Saul doesn't know that's what Jonathan has done. But we get to later in the story, and in verse 37, Saul inquires of God. He asks God, should I, should I pursue the Philistines? But God doesn't answer Saul. So Saul immediately thinks Som- something's weird, something's up, his radar's going up. And in verse 38, uh, he thinks that in his mind, at least, the only reason God wouldn't answer is because there must be some type of sin among the people. And so again, in his mind, in verse 39, no matter who that person is who committed the sin, he says, even if it's my own son, that person must die. And so Saul sets up this type of testing, a casting of lots, if you will. First he puts himself and his son on one side and the people, all the other people, on the other side. And he's basically saying, oh, is the sin in the leaders or is the sin in the people? And then he says in verse 31, he says this, and I quote, If the guilt is in me or in Jonathan, my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. If this guilt is in your people, give Thummim. Now, Urim and Thummim, what is that? It's probably two different types of stone. Uh, They were also part of the breastplate of the high priest. Uh, One probably lighter than the other or shinier than the other. The point is that the people could tell them apart. But the Urim was chosen. So the people are vindicated now. So it's not the people. So it's either Jonathan or Saul. And so then lots were cast between Jonathan and his dad. And Jonathan is chosen. And it's at this point in the story in verse 43 that Jonathan tells his dad that he tasted the honey while the oath was still in effect. And again, remember, let's not forget an oath that he knew nothing about when he was taking the honey. Now it's difficult to understand what's what's happening here um, in verse 43. I think it's verse 43 still, where when when Saul says to his dad, or excuse me, Jonathan says to his dad, "Here I am, I will die." Now is he saying that, if you will, in a way of courage, like, okay, yep, I'm guilty, here I am, I'm going to die, or is he saying it more with a bit of incredulity, this this idea of like, what do you what do you mean, like here I am, am, am I going to die? Am I going to die for something as petty as this of taking some honey? In either case, Saul lets his own thoughts be made known. In verse 44, he says to his son, God do so to me, and more so, or more also, you shall surely die, Jonathan. <laughs> this is Saul, in essence, he's doubling down on his unwise oath. I mean, he's got a chance to back up and say, well, you know, maybe that oath wasn't really smart to start with. But he's like, no, you're going to die for this, Jonathan. Um, I've heard I've heard people talk about having like I grew up with a bad dad. I don't know anybody's dad who's like said you know hey you took some honey out of the honey jar. I'm sorry, I'm gonna take you out. And you're, 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 I'm gonna take you out. Um, it's pretty cold, right? This is his own son, his own flesh and blood, and he tasted honey but he wasn't supposed to, and so that's it for you. But here's the problem: Saul's not gonna carry out the death sentence himself. He he's the king. He's got people that you know. He's got people who do that. You know. He's gonna let 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 my people do that. But the people say, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said they say, We're not gonna do it. We are not gonna kill your son because he ate some honey. Your your son is the one who saved us from the Philistines. You know, while you are sitting back in Mi'kmash or not Mi'kmash and um, Gibeah, while you're sitting back in Gibeah He's the one that went up the hill with his armor-bearer. Your son is the one that saved us. Not only are we not going to t- not take his, his life, not even a hair on his head is going to be harmed. Nothing is going to happen to him. And so then we're told, this is a glorious line, you have to underline this line in your Bible, it's so beautiful, so the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. What does that mean to ransom someone? Yeah, to to ransom is to pay a price. That's what a ransom is. That's a price being paid. And for the people, they paid that price, at least least relationally to their king. They they, they stood up to, we're not going to do it, Saul. We're not going to do it. Jonathan needed to be rescued from his dad and the people paid that price. Beloved, you and I need to be rescued from ourselves. You and I need to be rescued from our circumstances. You and I may even need to be rescued from others. Maybe, maybe, you, you know, maybe you have some really bad person that's after you who's wanting to take your life. I hope that's not true, but I suppose that could be. But here's something that's true of all of us. All of us were born into this world captive to sin and Satan and death. All of us. No, no one got a pass on that. That's how we're all brought into the world. It's true of me. It's true of you. But the Bible tells us over and over again that Jesus paid a price for us. Jesus ransomed us. He ransomed us from sin. He ransomed us from Satan. And he ransomed us from death. And he paid that price when he went to the cross for us. And that price was accepted. If you we will, the paid in full stamp was put on it when God raised his son, Jesus, from the dead. And so praise God, beloved. Praise God for that salvation that is made possible for us. Is that a salvation that you know today? Is it it more than just like a, a bookish reality? Like, oh yeah, I've heard about that. Or is it something that you know that is a part of your being, that you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I pray that it is. Let's close with a moment of silence and then prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word given to us. We thank You for the stories, these true stories of ancient peoples who lived thousands of years ago. And we thank You, Father, that even even in the lives of these individuals, we learn good and true and applicable things to our lives today. Father, we all need rescue. Lord, I pray for those today perhaps... They're in a situation where they need rescue from someone else, or from a circumstance in their life, or perhaps even a situation where they need rescue from themselves. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom to to see how how you've made provision for their rescue. Perhaps that provision is in the wise counsel of a uh, a brother or sister in Christ. Perhaps that wisdom or that rescue is is found in being a part of a family of God, being where, where we hold things in common with one another, and we we treat one another as family. Perhaps that's where rescue happens. Father, maybe other people here today who've, Lord, if they're honest, they're 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 living their life um, not as rescued sinners, but as sinners, just full-out sinners enjoying the fruit of their sin. And they need to be rescued from that sin. Lord, that they could call out on Christ Jesus and be rescued from that sin. If they have questions about that, they could speak to me here as the service comes to a conclusion or perhaps a friend or a family member that came with them. But Lord, to know that rescue is found in Christ Jesus. So Lord, thank You for this day. I thank You for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I look forward to hearing John uh, proclaim your word from Matthew's gospel next week and um, as we usher our way into the beginning of this Advent season. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.